Welcome back to our third study in the book of Revelation. We're looking at chapter 5, and if you have your Bibles, I hope you do. I hope you'll turn there. Um, just before we get started, while you're opening uh, your Bible, uh, I am recording the first three lessons at one time. Uh, if I feel a little disjointed or if I seem a little disjointed, I've had all kinds of things bouncing around in my head trying to keep three lessons straight. Uh, but we hope that you're getting the, the, uh, uh, the flow of the book, um, the Savior. Uh, we need to see him clearly. Uh, we need to see him for his power and glory, the glory that will one day be seen by every person on this earth. Um, people are not giving Jesus much attention today, or they have very little or low thoughts of him. That's all going to change someday when people see him and it's unveiled. They'll see him as he really is. And uh, that's one of the main purposes of this book is so that we will understand who our Savior is. So let me have prayer again and we'll look at chapter 5 of Revelation. And I hope we can make sense. I hope this is becoming coherent for you as we begin our study through this book. Father, again, we thank you for the book of Revelation. Uh, there is so much here, and we're just scratching the surface. But we know that you want us to see the Savior clearly. And today especially, we trust that you will help us with our study. Thank you for chapter 5 and what it means. We just ask that you would be with us. Help us to put it all together as we study again today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me read the first four verses of chapter 5 and make a few comments on this um, chapter that focuses on the scroll or the book, uh, depending on what your translation is. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne, and we saw it last week, that was God, the judge of the world. I saw in his right hand a book, they really didn't have books then, it was a scroll, written within and on the back side sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals on it? No man in heaven nor in earth, nor under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look on it. And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read this book, neither to loosen the seals, or to look on it. Uh, this chapter seems very strange to people who read it for the first time. Uh, it's very obvious that the scroll, or the book, depending on your translation, <clears throat> is the main focus of attention on this chapter. I think it's eight times in 14 verses <clears throat> that the word book or scroll is used. And God is being very intentional in drawing John's attention to this scroll. But when we come to it, we think, what in the world is this all about? Uh, <clears throat> doesn't make any sense to us. Uh, we have, uh, as people, men and women, generally, we have a common connection 
to a lot of things in this world. Uh, we have a common understanding of things in this world. We could talk about family, we could talk about graduations at this time of the year, we could talk about cars, we could talk about camping, we could talk about medicine, you name it. There are all kinds of things that we talk about and we have a common connection. Even though we don't have a common experience, not everybody goes camping, at least we can understand and talk about camping or other things. But when we come to this chapter and we think of this scroll, this book, we don't have any point of reference to begin with. It's just entirely unusual for us. So if you're thinking, what's this all about? That's okay. We'll see if we can work through this. But God is very intentional. He wants us to see this book or this scroll. When you come to a passage that's confusing to you, whether it's in the Revelation or anywhere else, and you just don't know what to do, just go slowly and look at phrases one at a time and begin to just see what's there. And as time goes along, the Bible will explain itself. Notice what we have about this scroll. That's where all of our tension is gathered. Uh, we find out that it's in the hand of God. This is God's property. God is holding this scroll. Um, it's not an angel. It's not a group of people. It's not any of the angels that are around the throne that we're worshiping. God himself is holding that. That gives it significance. We find out it says it's full of writing on both sides. There's some content here. There's something very specific here. This is a document of great importance that God holds in his hands. It says that it's sealed with seven seals. That means that this is an official document, God's property that he's holding in his hands. Uh, history tells us that when the Roman Caesar died he was to have his will not only prepared but it had to be sealed seven times it was something of uh, special significance because of his position it was an official document and it had to be sealed and we find that here the importance of it is heightened when we are told in verse 2, I saw a strong angel, a powerful angel, uh, proclaiming with a loud voice. <clears throat> and he's calling on all of heaven now to pay attention and to think about this scroll that God holds in his hands. And so it's very intentional. God is drawing John's attention to this book, and that's where we're to focus our attention to even though we have no idea at this point what it means, um, what its significance is, John does, because of some of the cultures of the day. But the angel said, who is worthy to take this scroll and to loosen the seals, open it up and display this official document? Remember, this is God's property. And it says no one anywhere was 
was able to step forward. No one dared to step forward and to try to put their hands on this document that is being held by God, the creator of all things. And we have kind of a, what is really going on here? And what makes it even more mysterious for us is John's response to this. In verse 4, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look on it. I wept much. John realizes that there's something wrong here and that there's something missing. I think he knows a little bit more than that. But we have this weeping and now we're still scratching our heads. Let me push the pause button there for just a little bit, just for a Bible lesson. Just hold right there. We'll come right back to it. Uh, think about a well-meaning pastor, a well-meaning person who loves studying the Bible, is fascinated with, with uh, prophecy. And let's just suppose that either that pastor or that person is reading and they come to this verse and they see John weeping and they're captured by it and they look at it and they look at it more and more and before you know it the pastor is saying this tells us that there are people in heaven who are going to be sobbing this tells us that people in heaven weep and as this pastor or meaningful person a well-meaning person continues to think about that they begin to think I know why people weep in heaven. Maybe a pastor will come to the place where he will tell his people, I see this, John is weeping in heaven. It tells us that people, believers are going to weep in heaven. And then he'll say, this is why you may weep in heaven. And he may continue to say, and this is what you need to do now so that you don't weep in heaven. And he could create a monstrosity out of his thoughts that have absolutely nothing to do with what happens in heaven. There are times in the book of Revelation especially when people get so absorbed with details and they create all kinds of ideas that are not there. They're just not there. And for anyone to look at this one verse and to say that believers will be weeping in heaven, um, that we need to do these things so that we don't weep in heaven, or this is what causes us to weep. They need to be very careful when they do things like that, because when you look at the book of Revelation, one of the things that you notice as you read through the rest of the book is you never see people in mass weeping. You just don't. What you do see is celebration, you have worship, you have songs, you have joy. But you don't see mass people weeping. You just don't see that. We also notice in the book of Revelation, not once, but twice, God says he will wipe all tears from their eyes. Not just once, but twice. We, we notice that what we see here is something that happens to John it's an event for one person at one time because of one reason but you don't build a whole teaching around it somebody needs to come to take that scroll let the simple facts the plain facts speak for themselves 
this scroll is important. We need to understand why. And hopefully, the chapter will make sense to us. I want you to keep a marker there, if you would please, and turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. I want to show you something. There is something here in the book of Revelation that is clearly seen in the book of Jeremiah. I want you to see that. It'll take just a minute for you to get there. Uh, some of you are familiar with the book of Jeremiah. Uh, this is really a very sad book. God's people are about to be taken to captivity. Uh, and it's just a very terrible thing to see. I told you 23, turn to 32, I'm sorry. Uh, chapter 32, and Jeremiah will see the entire city of Jerusalem destroyed and thousands of Jewish people killed. It's, it's an awful time. They have rebelled against God. God is finally uh, spanking them, disciplining them, and they will be carried to Babylon for uh, 50 years, and it's a difficult time. Here's what I want you to see in chapter 32. I'm sorry, chapter 32. Notice what God says to Jeremiah. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, and it says the year and the time. Verse 2, then the king of Babylon's army had besieged Jerusalem. Jeremiah the prophet was locked up in the court of the prison, which was in the king's house. Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up because he says he was against the king. And it says that God is going to speak to him. And verse 6, Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah is in prison. Babylonians are getting ready to come in and conquer the city. The Lord said, Word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come unto you, saying, Buy my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of purchase is yours to buy. And Hananiah, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said unto me, Buy my field, I pray you, for the right of redemption is yours. And he says, I knew God sent him after this, if you could see that. And notice, I bought the field, weighed him the money of silver, and I subscribed the evidence. That means they filled out the paperwork, and I sealed it catch that, sealed it, and took witnesses, weighed the money and the balance. So I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and the custom, and that which was open, and I gave it to Barak, the courts, and here's what's happening. The Babylonians are getting ready to conquer Jerusalem. Uh, Jeremiah has been locked up because he'd been a faithful prophet. King doesn't like him. God speaks to, to Jeremiah saying, your cousin's coming and he's going to want you to buy this piece of property. Go ahead and buy it. And he does that. He writes out the contract. He seals the contract, puts seals on it. It's an official document now. And in the rest of the chapter, Jeremiah says, why in the world, God, did you want me to do that? 
you can hear they're getting ready, the Babylonians are getting ready to come into the city, they're going to conquer us, we're all going to be taken away captive, and there won't be anybody in the land. So why are you wanting this done? And God says, I can see the future. Israel will once again be inhabited, the people will return, they will begin to settle in the land, and when that happens, people will find that property, that transaction that you have sealed, and they will have that land. And it'll be a testimony, a reminder in the future that God knew all along what was going to happen. He was going to be bringing his people back. The document that he, he purchases this field, it's written down in a document. It is now what we would call the title deed. Now, deed. Take that thought and go back, if you would please, to Revelation. What we see in Revelation is almost identical to what happens in Jeremiah 32. Notice what happens. There is this weeping in, in chapter 5, verse 5. One of the elders, it said, said unto me, Don't weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and around the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, there stood a lamb as it had been slain. The lamb refers to the Savior in his earthly ministry. Being slain is his death on the cross. And it says in verse 7, he came and took the book out of the right hand of God who sat upon the throne. Now, don't weep because the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He has died on the cross. He is the root of David. Those two passages that are quoted from the Old Testament, both of them refer to the fact that the Messiah, the Savior who would one day come, would rule the world. Both of these passages remind us that the future ruler the Messiah would rule not just Israel, but the whole world. We know that David was promised a kingdom and a king that would set upon a throne with a worldwide uh, rule. And he's putting this all together. But in, as you look at this, as the angel, the elder rather, talks about the Savior, we see emphasis upon his earthly ministry, the Lamb, the Lamb of God, who was who was slain, he died on the cross. And we have these prophecies about the Savior who would rule the world, <clears throat> put it together. Our Savior that we see in the Gospels, who we love so dearly, who we know died for us, is the same Savior who is one day going to rule the world. And at this point, he steps forward to take from God's hand the title deed to the whole universe. Jesus is now in control of everything. And he is the total focus of, of what's going to happen in heaven. Next week when we go to chapter 7, we will notice 
as Jesus begins to break the seal. He opened the first seal. <clears throat> that takes place in heaven, and then there's something that happens on the earth. He opens the second seal. Something happens on the earth. Jesus is in control and possession of the entire universe. Your Savior, my Savior, the Savior that we read about in the book of the Gospels, that gentle, loving Savior, is now becoming the lion. The lamb is becoming the lion. And God is satisfied that his son will now take care of the judgment of the whole world. And that's what's happening here. God gives his son, the Lord Jesus, the right to rule the world. And it again, it's part of that unveiling to see the glory of our Savior, to see his majesty and the power. When he returns from heaven to this earth, having dealt with this earth as well as cared for his people, it says that every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. And those who are saved, it says in 2 Thessalonians, will admire him, they'll love him. Those who have hated him or rejected God's work in their life, they will run for the hills. There's no middle ground anymore. And all of this is now starting because Jesus has taken control. He's taken the document. He is now stepping into that position as being King of Kings and Lord of Lords. The Lamb is now becoming a lion. And that's going to change everything. Uh, when we see this, it's just an incredible thing. In fact, if you'll notice in, in chapter 5, <clears throat> you'll notice heaven's response. We looked at this last time in verses 8, 9, and 10. Uh, believers are just thrilled that Jesus is going to take control of the world. And the emphasis upon their praise of the song, if you'll notice in verse 9 and 10, is not just that they were saved because Jesus died for them. This incredible transformation that believers have experienced. They have gone from being sinners, if I can say it that way, to people who are now kings and will rule and reign with Christ forever. That is a great transformation. And they know when they think of all that Christ did for them that was good, uh, they think of the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the love of God, the glory of God in, in creating and bringing to pass salvation. Just imagine what good will come to the world when Jesus finally takes control. And so they are, they are praising the Savior. They are just, this is the loudest praise song time you can imagine. And notice in verse 13, when we find out that every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, heard I saying, blessing and honor and glory and power unto him that sets upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And you have this universal, uh, universal praise. You have worship, you have singing, you have the angels joining in. It is the loudest praise the Lord you will ever hear. And again, John says in chapter 4, verse 1, when the door is open to heaven and he is brought up, the Savior says, I want to show you what's going to happen. These events have not yet happened, 
but Christian, when it does, you will be there to be a part of this celebration. You will be there to see the Savior take his position of ruler of the whole universe. And you will worship, you will sing, you will join the angels, and it will be awesome because we know that things will be done right now and things that are broken in this world are going to be fixed. That's because of our Savior. What we have in the Gospels is wonderful. Love the Gospels, cling to them. But remember, there is another side to the Savior that God wants us to see. He wants us to understand something of the glory and the magnificence of our Savior, who one day from heaven will begin to take a hold of this world and change things. Next week, we're going to leave heaven and come back to earth, and you're going to see how this begins, and it is not good. You've been very patient. It's taken time to cover the first three sessions, but I think we're in a position to answer some questions. Uh, what is the book of Revelation all about? Why do we have it? Uh, how are we to benefit from it? Uh, these are the things that will help us as we move on to our focus now, as we leave heaven and come back to earth. Hope you'll tune in again next week. Thanks for joining us for our study today.